Hello, and welcome to another episode of Marriage in a Tightrope. I'm Alan. And I'm all alone. Katie is off taking a kid to baseball, one of our many activities that we have during the evenings. But I'm excited today to introduce to you the first of a few wonderful interviews that we have already in the chamber, ready to fire your way. I've never made a more awkward firearms analogy to start a podcast, and I never will again. There's a first for everything, everybody. Today's interview is with someone hopefully you're familiar with. If not, you're in for a treat. This is David Osler, the author of Bridges, Ministering to Those Who Question. This is David's second time on the podcast. We brought him back, and you'll hear why in a second, because there is a second edition of Bridges that you might be interested in. And that is what today's interview is all about. To try to tease you a little bit about the interviews to come, we have also interviewed Susan and Cynthia from At Last She Said It, and that will be our next episode. We're very excited about that. We know a lot of people, especially our uh, believing and post-Mormon women, absolutely love At Last She Said It and Alan and Katie, I speak in the third person. We love them as well. Tommy and Madison Johnson. You may recognize Tommy's name from TikTok, known as The Tomsters. He makes wonderful TikToks uh, that are kind of like, does he believe? Does he not? Who cares? It's funny. That's kind of how I feel about it. Tommy and Madison are also in a mixed faith marriage, and they will be joining us uh, to be released after the At Last She Said It interview. Then we have one other pre-recorded interview in the books, which is a Jehovah's Witness couple from Australia that is mixed faith. Very, very interesting and excited about that. We've actually been sent that interview. This is one, if you don't know about our Facebook group, we posted a little bit ago about uh, our desire to release your story uh, without us needing to like waste your time by setting up a a Zoom meeting three months out because our schedule's busy and your schedule's busy. We basically just posted five questions, and those questions are these. What was your upbringing in or out of the church like? And that could be any church. It doesn't have to be the LDS church. Number two, tell us about your relationship leading up to one spouse experiencing their shift in beliefs, how you met, how you practiced your faith as a couple. Number three, briefly describe the transition of belief. The focus here should be on what it was like and less about the details of what caused the shift. Number four, what have been the most difficult challenges in your mixed faith marriage, including what you're still going through and working through? Number five, what have been the greatest wins in your mixed faith marriage, include how long it took you to feel that way and how long it took you to be in a, quote, better place and or what made you stay in your marriage. And then number six, What advice would you give to other mixed faith couples just starting out? So those are the, not five, but six questions that we invite you to record all on your own and send in MP3 format to marriageonatightrope at gmail.com, and we will publish it. We want to lend the power of your story to the Marriage on a Tightrope uh, community. And it's very powerful when people take the time to tell their story, and it makes other people feel much, much less alone, including for Katie and myself. Those are the announcements that we have for you this fine day. We hope everything is going well in your neck of the tightrope. <laughs> Ooh, that I didn't like that. I'll never use that one again either. Now we would like to welcome back to Marriage on a Tightrope, David Bartholomew Osler. <laughs> I took, did I get it right? I miss, I'm not sure if that's your middle name. We'll just pretend that it is. You got two out of three right, though. I'm impressed. 
<laughs> I'm not sure if you, uh, are you a fan or have you watched Saturday Night Live? I have. So you know how they have the five timers club? So I watched it in the 70s and 80s. Is that like the same time? The five timers club is, is any host who has, uh, who has hosted five times. They give them a jacket and there's like this this lounge that they get to go into and they get to talk to the other five timers who come on for a brief appearance. You're making your way to be the first five timer uh, guest on marriage on a tightrope. Okay. I think you've come on. Is this the second time or this the, is the second yeah, time? So I'm, I'm a two timer. You're a two. You're a two <laughs> you're... We got to get to three quick. Cause that has, <laughs> that has bad connotations. But I think that you're our first one who's been on twice. Maybe unless Natasha, Natasha has, but. I, yeah, I think, yeah, I think outside of Natasha, you are the first to come on twice. Well, I'm, I'm honored to be on once. To be well, hey, when, <laughs> when the third, this is a little spoiler about what we're about to talk about, but when the third, fourth and fifth editions <laughs> of Bridges comes out, then we'll, we'll get up to that five timers club. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that you need an introduction, but for those who are listening, who um, don't know David Osler, he is the author of the book Bridges. Um, what year was it published? Was it 2019? Yeah, 2019. 2019. Uh, P-P, pre-pandemic. <laughs> 2019 PP. I, like, I right. like that, pre-pandemic. That's right. And the full name of the book is Bridges. That's ministering to those who question. Thank you. Ministering Thank you. to those who question. And we had you on, um, oh gosh, it, it must have been like 2020 that we had you on when um, we wanted you to come and talk about this book and especially because it really meant a lot to Alan and I, and then you decided to go on and do a second edition. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about um, let's, let's go back and tell us a little bit about why you wanted to write bridges in the first place. And um, what was the response you received after you wrote it? Yeah, I think that first question is a good, like, introduction into you and yeah. what you're all about. <laughs> so um, I, um, I'm an old timer, second timing old timer. I don't, <laughs> am I the oldest person ever to be on your show? No, no. Carolyn Pearson has got you beat. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Carolyn, Carolyn, but I've got a lot of gray hair. Um, <laughs> but um so I'm not sure I've been around the block, um, but as you know, I've served in church leadership and sometimes that's important for people to hear. It's not important for me to say, but um, you know, I've been a bishop and a state president and a mission president. And I only say that because I've been in a lot of settings where I've talked to people about faith. And um, over the years, I've just come to realize that um, the simplistic um, answers on why someone would um, leave the church or no longer believe or whatever term we want to use for it, or usually that very simplistic and um, uh, kind of caricatures of people that leave the church. And as I've um, interacted with people who've left the church, I, I realized that it's a much deeper um, set of issues and that um, I felt like there needed to be something written for us to help better understand uh, people who uh, have a faith crisis, who deconstruct their faith, who leave the church for, for whatever reason. Uh, because if we don't understand um, those issues, um, 
we 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 don't know how to love people. We we don't know how to um, empathize. We don't understand what's in their heart. We don't understand how to remain connected with them. And so I I felt like there needed to be a book written for uh, people who believe in the church, who have testimonies, who are active, to understand why adults might leave the church. And so that was the focus of um, the first edition of Bridges. And once you published it, okay, I want to talk about two different things. Pre-pandemic, what did you see? Now we're post-pandemic. I mean, we're basically post-pandemic because I feel like there has been a very big shift during the pandemic of people leaving. And so I, I tell us, you know, what was the response when it first came out and how do you think it's changed since then? So when it first came out, I, I got... Um a fair amount of feedback uh, from believing members and in particular leaders that said, um, thank you. Um, I've learned a lot. Uh, I wish I had had this book at the beginning of my time as a bishop. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm using this book in our ward conference, uh, in all the ward conferences in our stake, for example. I'm, I'm using the themes from it in our Saturday evening session of stake conference. And I got, you know, dozens and dozens of those kinds of notes. Um, I learned that there was, um, uh, uh, it, it was used by CES instructors um, to kind of understand young adult disaffiliation and understand what the issues were. I, I learned that it was used in a university class. Um, and so there were people that were genuinely trying to understand something that they knew they wanted to understand, but didn't understand. And um, it was uh, very meaningful for me to to see that the book had activated um, those kinds of leaders to want to change church culture, address difficult issues, respect people that step away, um, to stop doing some of the negative behaviors associated with what sometimes leaders do. And so that was beautiful to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there were a group of people who've left the church that said, thank you for telling my story. And um, these were people that often felt misjudged, um, that often felt isolated, uh, vilified, um, that, um, um, you know, you know, just really felt misunderstood. And, and many of these were just grateful to hear that someone like myself could write a book like that. It gave them kind of hope in um, the church understanding these kinds of issues and leaders wanting to understand these issues. And then also it was um, just nice for them to be heard. And, you know, some of these people would, um, you know, take the book to their bishop and say, if you want to understand me, and if you you want to talk to me about why I've stepped away from the church, read this book first. And you can read the book, and then we can have a conversation. But if you don't take the time to really understand who I am, then it makes it much diff- more difficult to have that conversation. So I was really pleased with both audiences. Um, there was a third audience, and it really led into um, why I've published a second edition. And um, both of you um, said after um, our first podcast, why didn't you talk about the impact on marriage here? Um, 
And uh, I heard from parents and I heard from couples that um, I didn't go deep enough into the impact that um, an individual stepping away from the church has on a family. And when it happens in a marriage, what happens inside a marriage? And uh, I don't know whether I talked to both of you or just one of you, but I said, I, I just missed that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I didn't write the whole story. I need to get back with it. And, and so kind of at that point in time, after that conversation, I said, you know, I, I need to add this to my list and I need to write this. So that's kind of been the reception to it. Two groups I felt like I did a good job with. One group I didn't do a good job with. And in the spirit of repentance, I now have expressed remorse, promise never to do it again. And um, <laughs> uh, have, I'm doing all I can to provide restitution. Well, I'm, I mean, I, I don't think you need to apologize. I think that... I did. And so <laughs> I appreciate it. You did. I just think that, you know, when you're focused on a project, it, I don't think it, it immediately occurs to you that there are other groups until you get the exposure and you talk. And, and I think that that's actually like, it's pretty amazing that you, you took the comments to heart and you decided, okay, I'm going to give this a go. And try for a second edition. I think that that shows a lot of um, humility on your side and really like a passion to help these groups of people who also feel like they are, um, it, there could be more expounded on that. Were we the only group? Was it just like the relationships or were, were there other groups or um, chapters that you've already thought that you're like, oh, no, I, I didn't include this. I want to do something else about this. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if there'll ever be a third edition. So you you may never get, you know, a third timer. But, <laughs> never uh, get a third timer. All right. Well, you'll write but, a different book at yes. some point. But, you know, this this points to just a broad set of issues in society. And that is we just don't know really how to relate to people and connect to people that have um, different views that they hold closely. So, um, you know, I think we see that in, in politics. We've seen that in uh, COVID has been, you know, something that's been very divisive where we don't know how to relate to someone who has a different view than we do. Um, and I think it's very easy for us to end up in an echo chamber um, and only hear things from a single perspective and then devalue what someone says, you know, that's not kind of aligned with that, um, you know, particular point of view. And, and so I think it's kind of a broad and universal issue, which is how do we relate to people who are different than us? Mm. It, it, it's, you know, it's really challenging inside a family. Um, and it's doubly challenged when it's associated with eternity and things like God and morality. So um, I'm not to suggest that those kinds of divides are the same as they are with regards to having mixed faith in a marriage. But nonetheless, they're, they're related issues. And um, I don't think I will add to the book with regards to those chapters. But, 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 you know, these are skills we need to develop, and they will help us in our families, in our congregations, in our neighborhoods, in our politics. So that's, you know, a, a broader learning that, 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 that I've gained through this book. That's awesome. That is awesome. I, I think that what I love most about this second edition 
was the fact that the first the first edition really was speaking on the on behalf of those that were questioning or have have left the church and the second edition gave voice to Katie it gave voice to the spouse of someone that has left and opened that question of how is it for them how can i support my daughter my sister who has a spouse who has stepped away uh that was something that that i thought was just remarkable about that about that uh, the second edition and and what it accomplished i remember that you know when we talked with you the first time and then at the very end when we are talking about mixed faith and you you said i just feel like i missed the boat on mixed faith um i <laughs> i remember just getting really emotional about it and um i remember like you sitting with me and and, you know, getting emotional too. And as we talked about it, because, you know, it, I feel like it's so important, as you said, to learn the greater um, responsibility of connecting with people on their level, no matter what they believe, no matter who they are. And um, I think that you practice what you preach. And so I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And, you know, I, like Alan said, the second edition is, is excellent to give voice to both sides. I think, how do you go about researching such a big, broad topic as mixed faith marriage? Kind of take us through that process. Well, so I went two directions and um, you helped me with some of these directions. So um, you have to talk to people that are in it right? You, you can't stand aside. My marriage isn't mixed faith. Um, although my wife and I have different beliefs, they're not threatening in any sort of way to our marriage or our view of our religion and spirituality. Um, so I don't have that. You know, I, I can look at it from afar, but um, you helped me. And not all of my interviews were through you. Um, both of you, but some of them were. Uh, I did about um, 50 interviews, both with couples and parents and children, where um, we explored um, the issues of mixed faith. I don't, there's probably a better term for it, but yeah. where um, members of a, a, a husband and wife don't um, no longer believe the same where they did before. Uh, somewhere um, they went into marriage knowing they would believe differently. And then, um, you know, somewhere parents and children, adult children um, are trying to figure out their relationship after a parent or a child has left. And so you have to just kind of go down there and you have to spend time in their experience and you have to hear it from each party uh, so I did these interviews. I recorded them. I listened to all of them at least twice. Um, and um, they're very tender. You know, people were very kind to share with me what they felt and, um, you know, the experiences that they had. Some were years out of um, um, a spouse suddenly um, um, having their faith deconstructed. Um, and some were kind of still in the middle of it. And and so that was one way is you have to go there. You know, you have to get in the middle of it. 
And then the second is I talk to professionals who do this for a living and they, they work with couples that um, uh, are, are navigating um, a mixed faith marriage. And, um, you know, I, I talked to only three. Um, and then um, I read um, uh, both a, a book and um, several um, articles. There's not a lot that's written and researched on this uh, because LDS mixed faith orientation in a marriage is, you know, very different than um, a Unitarian couple coming back where the Unitarian says, you know, now I'm going to be agnostic. We, we are a high demand religion. Uh, and because of that, um, our religion is tightly wired into our marriage. So I did what I could in terms of going to the academic research. I couldn't find um, data that showed divorce rates or, um, you know, other sorts of uh, measures of how mixed faith couples kind of navigate that. But I, I went to the best sources that I could, which is the couples and which is professionals that have studied and, and, and have a practice based on this. Yeah, I mean, reading through it, uh, John Gottman, Dr. John Gottman is, is referenced a number of times. Looking at the notes, I've got the PDF of the section in front of me. Uh, there, there are it basically averaging uh, one, one reference to some academic study per page. When I'm looking at how many notes there are, uh, David W. Augsburger, Darren E. Shurkat from Pew, or excuse me, from the NYU Press. I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of research that went into this, which it lends credibility to it. So like, thank you for taking this. Like you educated us on, on something we pretend to know a lot about. <laughs> we are professionals in our own, of our own marriage. And that's but about that's it. About it. <laughs> and, and not even that. We have to include other professionals. <laughs> In our marriage. Yes, that's where the therapists go in. It's that's great. right. You know, I should have counted you as the therapist. You know, we did do an interview. Didn't we do two? Yeah, uh, yeah, it, we did. Yeah, yeah, we did multiple interviews. Yeah. And uh, so you're kind of in, in both camps, you know, you're experts because you've heard these voices a lot. You may not have the PhDs behind it, but, you know, not only do you experience it in your marriage, but you've heard the stories and found ways to communicate about it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, thank you for that. Oh, this is stop switching it to, <laughs> over to us. I know. Uh, and you're welcome. Thank you. We'll take the compliment. So well, I, can I ask this yes, one? Yes. So this is, uh, this was fascinating for me to ask uh, for both of us. Was there anything that you found surprising or particularly interesting uh, that you learned about, uh, about mixed faith marriage in this process. So, um, I, um, these interviews and writing this is actually really kind of hard on me emotionally, um, because I find myself, um, um, feeling a lot of the emotion that is in the person I'm talking with. Um, and one of the things that really struck me is how, both spouses are dealing with trauma. And I think that's the right word for it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a different trauma. It's not the same trauma. 
but it's a trauma that's playing out in their marriage, which is kind of the most intimate and personal setting. We want it to be the most intimate and personal setting. You know, there isn't a relationship that we want to to have that would be closer than what we have with a spouse. And yet both parties are traumatized. Um, the believing spouse is traumatized because everything that they thought about the eternal nature of their marriage is now um, in question. Um, and we can talk about kind of all the dimensions of that trauma. And um, so, and a part of that is, will the marriage continue? You know, will my spouse now live, leave me? Will I leave my spouse? And so there's a trauma kind of at the foundation. Um, and the the party, the spouse who's gone through a faith deconstruction, that's the term that I like to use on this because their faith, you know, ha, ha, it no longer holds the same form that it used to. Um, they've gone through a trauma associated with that faith deconstruction. It's almost always really painful to go through that. And um, everyone I interviewed, um, and it's uh, it's not the universe, so I'm sure that there's people that don't go through that, but um, it's painful and I would consider it a trauma. I don't know what I believe. I don't know what I can trust. I I I don't know if I believe in God. I don't know who I am to some extent. And then that plays itself out against a marriage. I don't know if my spouse will still want to love me, even though if I'm really honest, I don't believe in God or I don't believe in the church. And so, you know, both of them are in pain, but it's not like the pain of other traumas that are often shared. Like if, if there's a medical problem or a, you know, a child dies, there's, a trauma that, you know, is shared. And even though each experienced it in a different way, it's a common loss. But this is a loss that actually adds dissonance to a marriage. Um, and um, as I did my interviews and understood what that is, I, um, I felt that, um, and, 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 only a small part because I'm not in it, but but I shared some of that and saw how difficult and painful it is. So, you know, I always get misty-eyed in these, um, you know, and and often have to to sniff and um, because you know I, I get very emotional because I uh, I I, um, I feel a, a small amount of that. And, you know, it, it makes me sad that people uh, kind of suffer in these circumstances, um, probably unavoidably, but nonetheless, you know, and, it, and it's usually not kind of a quick fix. That, that, that pain lasts for, you know, a, a long time, certainly, you know, more than a day or two. It's been almost five years. Are we, is the pain gone? I mean, I think that you just get to a new normal and your paradigm shifts. And once you get to that point and you realize that like you're both in it to work through things and 
you get a lot better at communication, then I think that things don't feel as dire and you don't feel as traumatized, like you said, David, as you did before. And that's the gift of healing and the gift of time. Um, yeah. But <clears throat> there's still there difficult still, moments. We just, we just baptized both of our children <clears throat> on Saturday, our eight and, and she was nine and she turned 10 this week. It was kind of like the <laughs> skin of our teeth, but um, that, that was, that was painful. That was really hard. And the day turned out great. It was just all of the lead up to it. So I would say that, you know, there's, there are still things that have, are tender and hard to talk about um, regarding this. Is that how you feel? Yeah. I'm, I'm actually thinking of a good physics analogy if I can. <laughs> if you love, Oh, David, David's like, Oh dear, here we go. I, I hope it's not quantum physics. I just don't get it. No, I'm an idiot. So um, this, <laughs> this is, this is a sophomore class. That's physics. right. <laughs> Elementary school. So if you look at a roller coaster, right? You're going to Disneyland, you're going to Magic Mountain or Lagoon for those in Utah. If, unless there is another motor to catch a, a roller coaster on the track, it can never go higher than its initial drop, right? It can't go higher than its initial drop. So in a mixed faith marriage and in a faith deconstruction, that acute pain is most painful at the beginning as you're going, as you're dropping off of that faith cliff <laughs> and for the, for the spouse, and it's never going to return to that level unless assisted by perhaps what we're trying to solve with this book. Uh, that pain can get really acute and maybe helped up a taller hill by how family can react and things like that. But on its own, what we found in our marriage is that those, those dips and hills still exist, but they're smaller and they're smaller and they're smaller over time because faith works just like physics. <laughs> <laughs> now we have to name our faith roller coaster. What, what is it going to be called? Oh, well, well, Deconstructo. Deconstructo. As ride that I do not want to be on. <laughs> um, David, here's here's a question. Like, what do you hope that people will learn from this, from what you've written? Well, um, I think we. Inf- I th- I. Th- my hope is that we can avoid doing bad things. You know, mixed faith marriages will continue to happen, right? You know, um, people, um, whether it's the pandemic or other issues, you know, people continue to disaffiliate. They always have, you know, not everyone stays in the church for their whole life. And so this issue is going to continue. It has always been there and it will always remain. And um, I hope that we can find better ways um, in the church as a whole to be able to support uh, families that um, are mixed faith. So that's kind of the number one goal. And what that means is largely to avoid doing wrong things. So um, the right thing to do uh, for an outsider on this is to support the couple, not the believing spouse or not the now not believing spouse, but to support the couple and to support them in their goals, which usually I think 
it's not always the case, but usually it is to to navigate this and to find a way to continue uh, to have a strong marriage. Um, you know, if there isn't a strong marriage before, um, you know, it may not survive that. But if there's a strong marriage before, we want to support that. You know, they want, that couple wants to be able to, to navigate that so that they have a strong marriage. And there's a lot of things that we can do to undermine it. And so we need to stop, we need to not do that. Um, and it can be undermined from a lot of different ways. And I, I talk about some of those, but we need to support the marriage. Um, and we need to support, um, um, you know, both spouses with the traumas that they have in the circumstances that they're in. So, you know, that, that that's my hope. Did I answer your question? Yeah, I mean, you, you absolutely did. I, I think that um, this chapter really speaks to that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, David, uh, we, we here at Marriage and Inside Rope are known for our hardball type questions. Uh, we're, we're not going to, we're not going to avoid this topic. So I want to read just a quick section and, um, and ask you about a quote that you included how we can look at it differently. I actually want to read the, the paragraph before and after uh, this quote. So there is a, a quote from President Nelson in, from April 2019 that many in this space know as the sad heaven talk, a talk that was very difficult for those in a mixed faith marriage. We in talked fact, to you. We, we talked about this we with talked you, to you, right? When, we were, before. When, when you were interviewing us, we talked about this when we read the first draft yeah. and everything. And we were like, whoo, this is a toughie. This is a toughie. Um, and there's a, there is a, a happy ending um, with how it came out in the book, I feel. So here's, here's what uh, the book says. If I can give a little teaser of what everyone can expect when they go out and, and get the next edition. So it says, our doctrine is clear that only families that make and keep sacred covenants can be together for eternity. There is no fullness of joy except in, in, in an eternal family. President Russell M. Nelson in a recent general conference said, the Savior invites all to follow him into the waters of baptism and in time to make additional covenants with God in the temple and receive and be faithful to those further essential ordinances. All these are required if we want to be exalted with our families and with God forever. End quote. And then I'll just read a couple more sentences. You say, but God does not fear. His entire work and glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of all mankind. Alma calls it the great plan of happiness, not some sad heaven where we mourn who is not there. Although our eyes and hearts may be centered on the pain and situation of today, our faith can be greater. Our, oh, I, I want to read the next yeah, line. Last okay. line. Our heavenly parents' plan is not just for a small select fraction of the hundreds of billions of their individually distinct children. It is a perfect plan with all the time, opportunity, and hope that perfect plans have. Yeah. I mean, how, talk about that with us. So, um, you know, I um, I talked about this with most every um, interview that I did because this is one of the sources of pain. Our doctrine is clear. You know, President Nelson's not wrong that our doctrine in the church is that... Um, 
it's only through covenant making and covenant keeping people or processes that we become exalted. Yet um, everyone in a mixed faith family and certainly in a mixed faith marriage um, feels a lot of, um, of immediate pain because of that doctrine and in particular the way President Nelson said it. Um, I'm aware that this is often referred to as the sad heaven talk. Um, and I intentionally included the phrase sad heaven in there to acknowledge that to people that feel that. Um, but um, I, I just, um, my, my view of God is that um, God is just not this arbitrary um, deity that shows up for a brief period of time in our eternal existence, but that, um, you know, our parents really care about us and um, there aren't any limits to their caring about us except for perhaps some law in our own choices. They, there isn't a time where they grow disinterested in who we are. It's it's not like you know I I I've kind of thought about you and loved you for about sixty years or one hundred and ten years and you know I'm just done with you, you know it, it's not that way, and so I I wanted to um, put some context on that quote that allowed us to see that although President Nelson you know I don't know what was in his mind I can assume that it was some desire to create urgency on our part to live better lives, which is fine, which is loving. We want to live better lives. But if that urgency creates fear and pain um, that runs counter to the eternal love of deity, then um, I think we're, we're missing the point. This quote, um, applies also to parents. Parents have a lot of pain when they have a child leave. One of the saddest interviews I did was with a mother who said it would have been easier for her if her child had died than left the church. You know, I, I can scarcely get my mind around that. You know, the pain that she must have felt to know that that was a greater pain than losing her son to death, you know? Um, so I get kind of choked up about that because she felt that. And it was because of the pain of having no eternal hope. And um, if you're a believing member of the church, there are no limits to hope. If you're not a believing member of the church, then the, the talk is just hurtful. Um, you know, and dismissive of who you are as a person. Uh, but if you're a believing member of the church and, you know, you do believe that doctrine, then you still can have hope that a billion years down the road, God still loves that person that you love. Um, and um, so that's why I put it in there, right? Not sure I'm getting exactly to to where you want there, but no, it, I think I think so. Yeah, I think so, and especially at the end there, 
those of us who, you know, thank you for acknowledging how a message like this would make someone who doesn't believe it feel because it does feel bad. (laughs) It does feel bad. And even for someone who believes it made me, you know, I felt a lot of hurt over it as well um, because I do have like a very hopeful attitude about like the next life and what's to come. And so so hearing something like that, it, it puts, it can put you in a dark place on both sides. Right. But I I think you did a good job explaining it. I talked with um, um, one mother um, and she's a believing mother, but you know, her, her children have left. And one of them is, I believe, gay. And she says that when she hears messages like this, it actually divides her from the church. It actually creates a wedge because um, of the feelings it creates in their loved one. You know, for her, it's a son, but it could be a spouse. And how much uh, she respects her son and to, to, to feel like a talk like this completely dismisses any potential for, for him um, uh, to, uh, you know, be a part of that eternal joy. Um, now, I, I realize our doctrine says that there's a process, but um, when we say it in, in stark and negative terms, it, it creates fear, it creates pain, and it in some ways destroys hope. I would hope President Nelson didn't want to do that and that this was really an unintentional impact of of words that he could not see how they would be felt. Um, but I know many believing members, is, but certainly also those that that have left the church, um, you know, that, that that's a divisive set of comments. And I I just felt like I needed to say something about that. And I, I hope I said it in a way that was respectful of President Nelson and the doctrine of our church, but still provided hope for believing members and acknowledged the pain that the non-believers um, feel from messages like that. And when, when I say avoid the issues that hurt families, I think we need to figure out how to support families. And increasingly, um, our families in the church are mixed faith. You know, I, I don't know the percentage. Maybe someone will do a study on that. But, but I would guess that, that um, for parents that have more than three or four children that are over the age of 30, that 80%, 90% of them have a child who doesn't fully believe in the church. And so it's in all our families. It's in my family. You know, it's in my family's family. And um, um, we have to be able to talk about um, our beliefs and our doctrine in a way that doesn't um, put arrows in the hearts of our families. Agreed. I think... I want to speak. I want to speak from the position of someone who has left, and also largely to those that have left. In this next comment, it's an unfortunate truth that I think your efforts are trying to change, but 
one of the most one of the most evident things that happens in a mixed faith marriage is and i've heard this advice be given many many times but to, from those that don't believe to other people in marriages that don't believe and the advice is don't push against your spouse don't pull, try to pull them out of the church it doesn't work it's not compassionate love them be the best person you can and here's the unfortunate truth many times there will be a talk given whether it's by president nelson or someone in Sunday school that, that pricks the heart. You use the term arrows, but that pricks the heart of the believing spouse that just like the mother you said will actually not hurt their relationship with you. It will hurt their relationship with the church. One of the, one of the unfortunate, um, one of the, sorry, let me start this sentence over and darn it. Now I have to go back and edit this part. Okay. (laughs) One, (laughs) um, one of the ways that mixed faith marriage can be assisted is if the believing spouse starts to see some of the things that the non-believing spouse sees. That is one of the ways that is not the goal. uh, And that's not, that is not what, again, I don't think it's my job to point that stuff out to Katie in in our marriage. But when, when, some of these messages start to start to come out and they start to see like, this doesn't feel great for me in my situation. Um, that actually helps strengthen the marriage in some weird way. And it's like a awkward thing to talk about right here between the three of us, but we've seen it happen. Well, I, I think that people who are in the believing position, if, if this is the direction that we're going to go I think the people in, in my position where you're seeing a great spouse who is supportive and loving and is, is just a great all around person. When you hear a message about them, um, you know, or, or given about, you know, people who, who leave the church or leave the faith, it's, it's a little bit maddening, right? Because, I have privy knowledge to everything that Alan's been through as well as myself, but um, I feel like my job, I'm always trying to, if you will, bridge that gap between. You just used the title. (laughs) I know. um, Between the believing and the non-believing the, the, you know, the transitioner, I'm always trying to bridge that. And, and it can be really challenging at times and other times, honestly, I just think, you know what? We know so little. <laughs> we know so little. And what we do know is, is not all of it. And so, I mean, that's where the hope comes in that it'll all, it'll all work out, which is why I don't, I feel like I can still authentically go to church and hear messages that I do enjoy and that really are beautiful to me. And then also the ones that I can swipe away saying, that's really not a message for me because in my experience, my husband's a really good person. So I know that there's a lot of (laughs) cognitive. I didn't hear that. Say that last part again. Well, you know, you're okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for letting us uh, dialogue a little bit. Yeah. I think the, 
there's um, there's one aspect of the book that I thought was hopeful, um, and maybe it's hopeful um, in kind of a perverse sort of way, but is is we live more and more in mixed faith relationships, marriages, parent children. It forces us to come to grips with how do we treat people who are different than us, and for those of us like you like me with my family, who have said, my relationship is really important. And um, uh, the differences that are there with regards to belief are secondary. Um, I choose to um, love and remain connected with someone, even if they uh, believe substantially different than me. Um, And as we develop those skills, those skills actually flow back into other settings where we interact. They flow back into church. Um, and it, it may take some time because this is a relatively new phenomenon. And, you know, culture doesn't shift overnight. It takes, you know, a generation sometimes or, or more. But I think we will find that um, there will be increasing numbers of people who know how to navigate this. And it can be incorporated into the way we teach our classes, the way we speak over the pulpit. Even the leaders that get called will have more experience with this. And we'll be able to find um, ways to change that culture. Um, Because sometimes for people, it can be pretty hard. uh, to to navigate this right now in in their ward or you know in the broader family, and um, I just think that that will become um, more commonplace, and we will strengthen muscles that we you know have to strengthen as as these kinds of circumstances change. So I think that's good, and it, it it's not just the believing spouse that has to exercise those muscles, you know it's the now non-believing spouse that likewise has to find ways to preserve relationship, even though they, um, you know, don't share that belief. And, and, and there's some lessons that I hope that they are learning about, you know, how not to have contempt for uh, the spouse that continues to believe, Um, you know, because, you know, now they no longer believe that they don't think that they're somehow or other, superior in terms of their their knowledge and and hold the believing spouse as a lesser than um, because they have not followed them out of the church so to speak so i i think those are skills and characteristics that we'll get better at okay to end i've got to share a pretty personal story um do i know this one yeah so um a couple years back i gave friends and family members, your book, right when it came out, um, you even like it was signed. I think that you had some signed, you gave like some signed copies to us. And, and those are first editions now. Those so are, those are first extra editions. valuable. Yeah. They are so valuable. Um, in fact, I'm going to ask for them back, but no, um, <laughs> but I, um, what, when I gave them out, I, it was pretty radio silence. There was no, no one had read it. Um, no one took the time to read it after, it, you know, kind of an impassioned plea. Um, we did, we went through the motions of doing the, uh, you know, accreditation to 
the type of person you are and how you are sick president. And our, our sister-in-law was very good about talking about, Oh, I'm so excited. I've been wanting to read this. She really kind of backed us up on this and, and, um, but there really wasn't any type of response, which was, which was pretty hurtful to me. Um, because I thought, you know, I'm, I'm asking you to understand where we are and why, and this, it's really hard that you, that they, that they didn't, but I didn't say anything. And, and no one in our extended family really said anything. And then let's fast forward to um, just a couple months ago, I think it was January where um, Alan and my brother just had a pretty open dialogue and conversation. And he mentioned to him the book that we had given to everyone that no one had read and how it was, you know, a little bit hurtful to us that um, here was a chance to be able to understand. And there wasn't a lot of effort made. And um, so this has been what, three, three years, the three years ago that we gave it out and nothing. And so my brother really took that to heart. And I think he downloaded the um, the audio version, which was Alan speaking, which I don't know how triggering that was for him <laughs> listening to Alan's voice. And, but he listened to it on his long drives back and forth to work. And then one night he asked us to go to dinner and he just said, you know, I am so sorry. He said, you know, when this was happening, I, I thought I asked myself and my wife, like, why doesn't my sister come to me? Like, why doesn't she talk to me about this? Like, you know, and he said, after reading the book, I realized that I was not in a headspace that I could ever do that. And I, I wasn't open to hearing what you had to say. But after reading the book or listening to the book, um, it really opened up to me, you know, how difficult this journey has probably been for both of you and how you've been doing it alone and um, mentioned the podcast and everything. And it was probably one of the most <laughs> um, healing experiences um, that I've had with any of my family members. Um, Cause I felt for the first time that someone heard me validated where I was validated how I felt and, um, and wanted to do better, which that's the ultimate goal. And he is a hundred percent. in. he's very, you know, he's, he's like a very faithful priesthood holder. He, um, confirmed both my children at the baptism on, on Saturday, but like having that just key piece of empathy, um, that was shown just has taken our relationship to the next level. And I say that as a huge nod to you and your work, because, you know, um, it's something that is so needed, but also for those of you listening who have given it out to leaders, who have given it out to family members, and you haven't had a response yet, you know, just, just give, give it time, maybe invite them to, to listen to the audio version. You may not have the same experience, but I can tell you that when when you are able to connect that way, um, just a lot of those hurt feelings have just um, evaporated because of it. And um, 
I really, I know that this is like a labor of love, especially, um, you know, because you spend so much time on this and effort and um, just, I, I can't thank you enough, just how meaningful it is to someone on this side. And I'm on the believing side and it, and it still like had such a big impact And now I'm like, he's the one that I know I can be safe with and I can tell my feelings to, and we can have an open discussion about it. And, um, that really is, um, uh, I would say like a blessing from, from you, a gift, a gift that you've given all of us. So thank you. (laughs) Well, that story makes it all worth it. Thank you for sharing. Uh, I'm dead inside, so I'm not going to cry, but <laughs> I will say David's wiping tears. There's that empathy coming out. I will say that um, this same brother, it because he had made, it took literally one conversation. That's all it takes is one meaningful conversation and the floodgates opened <clears throat> on many more conversations with him. And two quick mentions of what that even like means to us, I was happy to call him and ask him. And it was me asking on, on purpose, if he would confirm our two kids after the baptism. And then on the day of the baptism, I didn't pre-think this, but when I got there, I f- it felt like the right thing to do <clears throat> while he's sitting there in the primary room and we're getting ready to start. I walked over and whispered to him and his, his wife, who was the sister-in-law who endorsed the book when we gave it out to everybody. <laughs> Um, I leaned over and whispered to him. I said, Hey, I want you to know you're not walking on even one eggshell with this confirmation with me, zero, like don't edit, don't filter, say whatever you feel like you need to say. Um, you don't have to worry about that. And we hugged and he appreciated it. So, I mean, and that's all because of one conversation and it seriously it the ice looks like it's that thick and it's not it's like one good hit with the hammer and the ice is cracked and um you provided the hammer so thank you for that (laughs) well thank you i'm i i feel really heartened because i think people are really good and really want to love um sometimes we're afraid and we're afraid of reading something um, or we have other priorities, but, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for those people that, that venture out because of love and, um, you know, want to try and understand it may be the love of a leader. It may be the love of a mother, maybe the love of a brother. Great. Well, we'd love to ask you in, in closing, you know, we can't, this can't be it. Yeah. What other projects do you have for us? What, I mean, there's gotta be something else. And it could be just, uh, I'm going to spend time with my grandkids. <laughs> um, yeah, I do spend time with my grandkids. We, um, people don't know this about me, but we live in a multi-generational house. So we live, um, in a house with my daughter and her husband and her three children. So, Every day is Grandpa Day and Grandma Day. Um, my daughter's going to law school, so uh, even more so than it used to be. At age forty, she's you know going to law school. So, so we do spend time with them, and it's wonderful. I um, 
I'm just saddened by the divides that we have. Um, you know, there are a few people who are just kind of bad people, um, but like 98 or whatever the percentage are really just good people. And um, so many of us just don't know how to talk and engage with people who are different. So, um, you know, I, I'm doing some things in ways in which we can learn skills to allow us to have conversations with people that are different than us. And I've learned a trick. Um, I've learned um, to ask questions prefaced by, I'd be curious to know. And um, I find that when I really am curious to know and, um, and have curiosity, that I can learn something about the way a person thinks that helps me respect that difference and often learn something from them that is different. So um, one thing that I do is I'm, I'm doing something called circles where uh, once a week, a group of people, random people get together and talk about a topic and um, they can take time to express their opinion on the topic. And then everyone gets to ask them, I'd be curious to know questions. And um, it's tightly controlled and moderated. And we've had wonderful conversations mm -hmm. about, here's one, do men dominate or do women defer? That was the topic. Uh, we asked, we did one on um, uh, um, uh, vaccinations. We've done them on uh, wokeness. We've done them on some of the most divisive issues and people can come together and have meaningful conversations and in the process, learn how to be curious, how to ask questions, how to not um, argue, not to listen to people, to find out what they're going to say to rebut them, but to be genuinely curious as to what is their lived experience that brought them there? How have they related to that? So I do stuff like that now, um, and it may result in a book. I, 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 um, I admire the church talking about reducing contention, um, but I would also like them to help teach us the skills so that we can talk about important issues um, without um, creating division. I worry that people's approach is simply to avoid difficult topics because we don't know how to have conversations about difficult topics when we have a disagreement. Yet the difficult topics are the important topics. They're the ones that define who we are as a people, as a society, um, you know, how we treat our neighbors, what are the priorities on how we spend money, what is the role of government, you know, all of these issues are really important issues. So, so I'm spending my time doing that. And um, I'm not sure I ever saw myself writing books, but I'm up to a second edition. So who knows? <laughs> I don't predict anymore. Some veteran. No, that sounds awesome. And we will absolutely expect an invitation if that book ever comes to fruition. Right. And you're <laughs> right. It's, I think more now, now more than ever, that is exactly what we need. And we see, you know, we see it in our kids. We had a discussion the other night about the 
fight, flight, freeze, or face? What do you do in the situation? What is your tendency? Let's practice doing something opposite of what you're used to. And it is a skill that you have to learn in order to have relationships in the future. It reminds me of that quote from Arthur Brooks at the BYU commencement a couple of years ago, who's in, not an LDS um, author. And his, his quote is, the, the goal is not, and this is probably paraphrased, the, the goal is not to disagree less, it's to disagree better. That's the goal. And that's, that's what you're advocating for, is have, yeah. have conversations about the difficult things and disagree in a more curious, compassionate way. David, thank you so much for joining once again on, on Marriage on a Tightrope. We are getting your Letterman's jacket ready for, <laughs> for episode Two-timer. Five. I'm sure your, lo- your wife will love that. That's right. <laughs> should, should we talk a little bit about how uh, listeners can get access? Oh, yes, to yes, 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 yes. Okay. Yeah, Absolutely. let's do that. How do, how, all the channels. How do we do it? So the second edition is simply the first edition plus another chapter. So if you have the Kindle version, re-download it and the chapter will come along with it. Magic. Magic. If you have the Audible book, um, someday soon... <laughs> After Alan finishes, I'm slacking. I think I think it's I, I'm just honored to have someone who's left the church read my book uh, and make it famous. So thank you for that. But um, if you just re-download the book once that second edition is available, that chapter will also be available. If you've either bought the old book um, or just want to read this chapter, you can go to the website. Uh, www.bridgeslds.com and you can just download the chapter. It's a free PDF. So you can download it and read it. You can distribute it without charge. That's fine. And um, and if you buy it anew, um, it will come complete with that second chapter if you buy it from Amazon. If you buy it from Deseret Book, there's probably still some inventory of the first uh, edition that's going through. So just just look to make sure it says second edition on it. Was that too commercial? No, that was perfect. We actually invite everyone to go to Deseret Book if you're in a retail location that has that and buy up all of the first editions that you can find. (laughs) Knock on doors. They're going to be rare. That's right. They're going to be worth something someday. It's like a Jose Canseco rookie card. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's absolutely great. We want to support um, your efforts with Bridges and... That that message, I mean, I don't know how many copies we've bought, probably 15 to 20 yeah, to give to leaders, to, give to, to family. Yeah. Thank goodness we have big families it, that uh, that helped your book sales. <laughs> Thank you. My, my royalties <laughs> are my cup runneth over, my Slurpee. Runneth Your Slurpee. Over. You yep. can get a super big gulp next time you go to 7-Eleven. <laughs> That's right. Well, David, thank you for coming on with us and sharing your heart and this new chapter. And we hope that everyone will go and read it and share it with your loved ones. Thank you. Thank you. This has been Marriage on a Tightrope. Thank you for listening and joining with us. If you'd like to tell us your story, email us at marriageonatightrope at gmail.com. You're not alone. If you'd like to support the podcast, Go to marriageonatightrope.org for a donation or Venmo us at marriageonatightrope.